Is it still raining out there? What in the world? We get an overabundance of rain in Orlando sometimes, don't we? Uh, but uh, today we got uh, a great amount of God's grace. And uh, we are going to continue and look into God's grace this morning. I hope that you have worshipped as I have worshipped. I'm so glad you're here. This is great. Your English is incredible. Way better than my Greek. And uh, so glad for you and, and your ministry to the anarchists. Good night. Do you ever feel like an anarchist? Not really. Um, but I, I like them. I don't like religion either. So uh, there it is. There, I'm glad you have a minute. I'm looking forward to hearing you more. What a privilege it is uh, to be with you this morning, Orangewood, and to look into God's word. We're going to continue our series in, in Paul's letter to a church in another Greek city, Philippi, uh, and uh, we're going to finish that today. Uh, we, we've titled this series, Grace on Fire. Because the reality is that the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a spiritual fire that burns in our hearts. It intended to ignite a new kind of life, a new kind of living, a new fire that burns deeper and deeper and deeper into our lives and makes a radical transformation. Grace, grace is God's love in action. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that you deserve the opposite. And once you get the grace of God, you can't, you're not the same. You can't be the same. We're transformed by it. And, and I, the more I reflect upon the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more I think that what we're about as Christians is absolutely unbelievable, really. It's, it's stunning when you think about it. That in the eternal counsels of the triune God, it was decided that the eternal Son of God would become one of us. That he would take on human flesh and walk among us. That he would, that he would hang out with us, listen to us, speak to us, heal us. That he would take our curse having already fulfilled the law of God perfectly for us. You can't make this up. If you were to create a religion, it would not be Christianity. This is beyond our comprehension. And I believe in all time and eternity, uh, as we walk with the Father, as we live in eternity with him, we're going to pinch ourselves. We're going to be saying, do you believe this is really true? Because the grace of God is a fire that burns and continues to burn in, in our hearts and minds. And as we get to the very end of this letter to Paul, Paul's uh, beloved church in Philippi and Macedonia and northern Greece, as, as we finish this letter, it's interesting, as he wraps it up, and this is where we're in, we're in the wrap-up. The last 14 verses of, of Philippi, Philippians is, is a wrap-up, is a pulling it all together. But he never once says goodbye. And, and as he wraps up this letter, he pulls together more about grace and how it's a fire that burns deeply in our hearts. And he's going to leave us with three great fruits of grace that continue to burn deeply. Before we look at that, let's bow our heads and our hearts one more time in prayer. Our great Father, we come into your presence today and we're so thankful that we belong to you. 
We're so thankful that as we worship you and have worshiped you today, we've been reminded that you are high and holy and lifted up, that you are the God who is and who was and is to come, that you, you are sovereign, you are holy, and yet in your power, you are merciful and gracious. We come to you as your people today, so thankful that we belong to you, thankful that you have radically transformed us, that you have put your fire in our hearts, and yet, Lord, as we come into your presence and worship today, we we have to confess that at times we still don't get it. At times we still are trying to impress you with our own righteousness, with the things we do for you. Sometimes we still don't get how high and lifted up is our identity. Sometimes we forget, we We just forget. And so now we come to you thanking you for who we are in Christ and pray that you would continue to open our minds and hearts even more right now, that even as we finish this letter, it would only be a new beginning of seeing your grace burn deeper and deeper into our hearts. So talk to us about that today. And Lord, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins And use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For we have come into your presence today to see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our text today is Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. And uh, I read to you from Paul's letter to them as he writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says this. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble needs, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, did you catch how the book of Philippians ends? Uh, Maybe you caught it. Verse Uh, Chapter 4, verse 23, the very end of Philippians ends like this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, do you remember how Philippians started? How many weeks ago was it? Ten weeks ago? Nine weeks ago? I don't know. A lot of weeks ago. Do you remember how it began? Philippians 1, verse 2 says, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think of this letter of of Philippians, as we think about what the content really has been, it's been about grace from, from start to finish. It's about how the gospel of Jesus Christ burns into our heart, transforms our life, and gives us joy. Really, joy is one of the major themes in Philippians, and I've never even talked about joy, uh, really, because it's been one of those pervasive stories uh, within uh, the book, basic theme of the grace of God. But that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is grace, unmerited, unearned favor, achieved for us in Jesus Christ. You know, over the years, I've had an opportunity to be an adjunct uh, teacher at Reformed Theological Seminary here in town, and it's been a privilege teaching classes and preaching and in leadership and um, I, in every one of my classes, I always require a paper. I want you to know, I like teaching and I like hanging out with students. I hate reading their papers. I hate, I hate requiring papers, except one, one paper I require every year. And that paper is, I make all of my students, uh, and many of them, of course, most of them are, are, are men. I make them write a paper that tells me about their earthly father experience. I say, whatever happens to you when you get into the pastorate, when you get into the ministry, you will bring your earthly father experience with you. And you don't even know what it is. You don't know why you do what you do and the way you do it. And you have no idea about the influence of your earthly father. And so I require a paper. Tell me about your earthly father experience. And then prompted me to write a book at some point, like Father Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. And one of the stories that one of the men wrote in one of his letters, Stephen, I can still see him. And, and as I read, as I read these letters, I have a stack this high of these stories. A lot of times I would nod, thankfully, for those fathers out there that, that really intentionally develop their sons and daughters. But more often than not, I would weep at the fathers who didn't do what they could have, should have, and left these young men so broken. Stephen writes, I was conceived in an adulterous affair. My mother was with her then husband's best friend somewhere in Texas, and that is where it all began for me. When my mother told my father that she was pregnant, he said, I don't want anything to do with it. When I first read that, I threw the, I got so mad. I thought, Stephen is not an it. You are not it. You are the deeply beloved children of the Most High God. And Jesus died for you by name and by face on the cross. But he told more and more of his story. And part of it goes like this. Because stepfather after stepfather after stepfather, mistreatment after mistreatment after mistreatment, he said, then came the nightmares not metaphorical nightmares, but real terrifying nightmares. Growing up with my stepfather had molded me into a person who wasn't scared of much of anything. When you get used to abuse and living underneath the cloud of threat, a certain hardness forms that takes no mustering of courage to exhibit fearlessness. But these nightmares went beyond childish night terrors. They drove me to my Bible 
I read and read and read. The nightmares continued. Then one night, then one night, my world changed. It was in the evening, but still light out. I was falling asleep, reading my Bible. I was in one of the Gospels. I don't remember the story. All I remember was drifting off to sleep. But then I snapped awake. It was pitch dark. I, 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 have, I didn't have any drowsiness to shake off. There was no transition from sleep and waking. I was just awake as if it were in the middle of an ordinary day. Did I just hear something? My body was turned toward the wall and my back was to the bedroom door. Then I, I did hear something and there was no question what woke me up. I stiffened for the third time I heard Steve. I could not turn over and look in the direction of the voice. I did not want to anyway. Instead, I pulled the covers over my head, terrified. An 18-year-old who thought he was tough, pulling cheap worn out sheets over his head in the hopes of avoiding the voice and all the implications that echoed behind it. I never said a word. I just waited for something. I don't know if it was expecting to die, but I just lay there. A wind passed over my ear through the street. It rippled the sheet and sounded over my ear like someone gently blowing into a microphone. Immediately, all fear was gone. Not just was all fear gone, but a peace that passes understanding entered and remained. The nightmares left never to return. My life was literally changed overnight. He had met the Father. The Father had met him. His story is much like us, living in, in a world that is broken, trying to find our way, born sinners, striking out on our own, desperately needing a relationship with the God of the universe, but not knowing how to get it. Abused, torn, terrified, and then something happens. A wind blew into every one of our lives at some point. The Spirit of God met you and brought you to Jesus. And you didn't deserve it. And I didn't deserve it. But there it is. I wish you could meet Stephen. I wish you could see what a gentle, kind young man he's become and how grace has a radically transforming, burning power in our lives. Paul wanted the Philippians to know it not once, but every day. He wants us to know it not once, but every day. I want you to know it not once, but every day. And I, and I think that, that as Paul gets to the end of this letter to them, chained to a Roman soldier, as he's thinking about them and how soon Epaphroditus would take off with this letter and go back the 800 miles to Philippi from Rome and spend time with the people there and tell them how much he loved them. I think Paul wanted to say something other than goodbye because it wasn't going to be goodbye. He wanted to tell them more about grace, and so he did. He left them as he wraps up this letter with 
three fruits of grace that just pours out as he, as he ends the letter, as he gets somewhat pedantic, as he gets very personal and very real with them. He talks about three fruits of grace because he wants them to know that grace continues to burn. The first grace that he wants them to know about is the grace of partnership. We see that here in verse 10 and then verses 14 through 18. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so Paul is thinking about, he's reflecting about the partnership that he has with the other Christians in Philippi. The community, the oneness, the relationships. I, I would love to hear about your relationships in Athens with, oh my goodness, with anarchists. I'd love to hear the stories. I bet there's some incredible stories. But Paul had a relationship. The gospel brings us together. And, and it's fascinating that they loved Paul and Paul loved them. And they loved Paul because he came to them. He brought the gospel to them. He made every sacrifice to come to them and tell them about Jesus. And he sacrificed a great deal to come to them. So when they told him that God had come in Christ and, and, that, and that he loved them, well, they naturally loved Paul and Paul loved them and they loved Paul and they were in partnership together. It was absolutely amazing. And they were all in to what Paul was doing. They knew, they knew that Paul had to keep going. They, they wanted him to stay, I suspect, in Philippi, but they had to keep him on the road because Paul was called to be on the road, taking the gospel to so many different people. Because what the gospel does is it makes us disciples who make disciples. And that's really the mission of Orangewood, isn't it? It's making disciples who extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But we're not, we don't need to get into mission statements and worry about mission statements. Paul was doing what Jesus did, and we're doing what Jesus did. And the Philippians wanted to tell other people about the love. The, the simple mission statement of the church is, is that we're loved people telling other uh, people that they can be loved too in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but that's not controversial. What's controversial here is that, is that what he does is he brings up this whole idea of money. Is money controversial? Can we talk? And so he brings up this whole idea of support and he says to them, hey, you guys wanted to support me in the past, but you lacked the opportunity. After all, that makes sense. And so he rejoices that they finally revived their, uh, their opportunity to take care of him. But how, how do you support a guy that's constantly on the road, that doesn't have email or a smartphone, uh, that's, that's on a ship going to Rome to go to prison that gets shipwrecked? How do you find him? How do you... There's no PayPal. There's no way to get money. No Western Union, as far as I know. How do, you get, how do you get the money to him? And then how do you find somebody to take the money to him? Finally, they came up with Epaphroditus. I want to find out about his story. But uh, So money's the issue, isn't it? I mean, here, that's what he said. Thank you for reviving your concern uh, for me. They were all in financially with Paul. It's interesting. Dr. Richard Pratt was, came to my mind the other day when he's a statement that he used to make. He said, if you make your living from faith, you'll lose one or the other. <laughs> Money makes us weird, doesn't it? It makes us weird. Uh, oftentimes we hear people talk about Christians. You guys talk so much about money. Uh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be around the church because Christians talk about money too much. You heard that? I've heard it. And by the way, I grew up in a church like that. I remember one worship service where we talked, they were talking about money and, uh, um, 
and they actually took three offerings in that service. I was in junior high. That was before the time of the Apostle Paul, I think, when they uh, called it junior high and not middle school. And uh, I, I was in junior high. And they took three offerings. And I, t- I turned and looked at my, my mom down the aisle and said, really? They're taking a third offering? I vowed at that point, if I ever became a pastor. First of all, I vowed I'd never become a pastor. Secondly, I vowed if I ever became a pastor, I'd never talk about money. And, uh, and then I became a church. Your church planner out on that side of town I think it's your fault because then I had to start talking about money. You know, like maybe it's Joe's fault. I don't know, but I didn't want to talk about money. I, I, so I was at a conference with uh, Steve Brown's mentor, uh, Fred Smith, and I was, I was moaning and whining about the fact that I was a church planner and I had to talk about money and I didn't want to talk about money because we had to pay the bills. He looked at me and he goes, look, Pete, bottom line is, God could have separated money and ministry anytime he wanted to. He decided not to. Deal with it. Okay, Fred, what do you really think? Earthy businessman. I couldn't argue with that. I said, all right, well, so the reality is, is that money's a part of ministry, isn't it? Right? Money's a part of ministry, right? Okay, it is. It just is. But I love how Paul and the Philippians dealt with the whole thing. So they were in partnership, you see, because money was not the thing, was it? Money was a thing, but money was not the thing. It wasn't about money. It was about the gospel and about keeping Paul on the road. That's what it was about. And so for the Philippians and Paul, uh, money was a thing, but it wasn't the thing. And I want you to know they gave, they gave over the top. They gave generously, and, and, but they gave out of gratitude. That's why they gave. They gave out of gratitude. And, and, uh, and, and notice that Paul responded with gratitude, catch this, but without manipulation. Do you notice what he said? I like that. In verse 10, he said, my rejoicing, I rejoice that you have the opportunity to give, not because it's for me, but because you guys have the opportunity to be generous. I love that. I, I know it's strange, but the gospel turns grace on, uh, on its head. By the way, one historian pointed out that Paul in prison probably had a lot of bills. I hope I never get into litigation. This is one of the, I hope I ne- my presbytery never brings me up under charges. I hope not. I don't, Joe, I don't want to deal with that. But I hope I never get into our law courts because I probably couldn't afford it. Paul had bills to pay. Um, but he was in partnership. Bill Hybels once said, I thought that if I was in Christ and in shape, in Christ and in shape, I would be invincible. <laughs> Paul realized that he was in Christ, but he was also in partnership. And that leads to natural giving without manipulation. <laughs> so, so the Philippians were generous out of gratitude, and Paul was grateful but not manipulative when it came to money. Okay, so here's my application for us I, I, yeah, as on, on the whole subject of money. I never talk about money unless it comes up in the text. Guess what? It comes up in the text, so here it is. I didn't bring this up. It was Paul's idea. So here's the challenge, Orangewood. Give big. I love simple applications. Give big, tithe, give big. Why? Because we, you, are a mission. One thing I, 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 for 30 years, I told my church, I said, you guys forget, we support missions out there, and that's a good thing, but you forget we're a mission. 
You are a mission outpost surrounded by unbelief. By the way, the elders didn't ask me to say this. It just came up in the text. And so give, give generously. Give out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. And, 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 and then those who support you or you support should give back to you without manipulation. And if they don't, cut them off. Okay, so that's the, the, the reality. I think that is a, a good principle. Joe, the missions team might want to use that. I don't know. I don't know. It's a little controversial. But grace is a fire that beer builds partnership. We're together in it. It's a fruit of grace. The second fruit of grace is one that, that, that really strikes home to us here, and it's the fruit of contentment, verses 11 through 13. The apostle again says, not that I speak from want, uh, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've, I've learned this secret of go, being filled and going hungry. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you are going to say it. These verses are ripe for memorization, aren't they? Wow. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment is such a huge issue. It was an issue back in the first century, but it's an even bigger issue at the beginning of the 21st century. I say it all the time uh, that, that the devil in many parts of the world is in the privation. In America, the devil is, is, is in the opportunities. There's so much we can do, so much money we can have, so many things that we can do with our money and time, and we have whole industries that are dedicated toward making us feel discontented. And, and so contentment really is a supernatural thing, isn't it? What is it? It's the state of being at rest with God and at rest inside. It's really the peace inside because we, have, uh, we are at peace with the God of the universe. Uh, how are you doing today? I, you know, uh, Pastor, Pastor Taylor Kelly, as he came up here uh, a little while, he gave the thumb meter, right? Didn't, and the issue, we could do that today and the whole issue of contentment. Don't do it though. But are you, could you say you're contented? You say, oh, it's Sunday morning. I have anything to do. Just go to church, go home. There's no NFL on, so what do you got to do? You know, it's... What I've found about contentment is that contentment doesn't last long, but I get it in Christ and I can get it again in Christ, over and over and over. One of, the, one, of the, one of the forces at work that absolutely destroys my own contentment is my own temperament. Uh, some of you are, uh, by temperament, more restless. Some of you, some of you might be like me, but I, but I want to suggest that contentment goes away sometimes just because of our own temperament, how we're wired. We're more restless. We're, we're, maybe you want approval from other people. Uh, that's, you want to succeed. You want that approval from others. I feel that sometimes. One time I had done a men's retreat with a, a bunch of guys outside of St. Louis and then was preaching at the church in St. Louis. And that church uh, apparently followed Steve Brown. They knew of Steve Brown and were devotees of Steve Brown and knew I was on the radio with Steve Brown. And so after, at the, at the end of the service, there was a couple of people talking there and this one lady came up from the back and she had this 
nonplussed look on her face. She looked at me, and I was talking to somebody else, apparently too long, because she, she just started. She said, she said, Pete, Pete, dye your hair. Dye your hair. You look, you sound younger on the radio. Dye your hair. Dye your hair. I tell you, I'm not kidding this. I used to look like you. Three, three times she said out loud, dye your hair. You sound younger on the radio. I wanted to tell her, listen, I was mostly gray by the time I was 35. And it was people like you that give me the... <laughs> Golly. But by then, I've been following Jesus for a long time. And you learn you can't be in ministry. You can't do life if you're so concerned with what people think about you. But your temperament, your temper, are you perfectionistic? Are you a little OCD? I've got some of those in my family. I love them. I like the guy who had a t-shirt on. It said, I'm OCD, but I like to spell it in the right order. I'm C-D-O. <laughs> um, I don't know what your temperament is, but I do know that your temperament, your home life, the experiences that you've had in life all contribute, all funnel into making you a discontented person. And if your identity is not in Christ, you're going to struggle with this. But that's really the point, isn't it? That Paul said our identity in Christ, because it's grace-based, is, is in Christ. We are the deeply beloved, redeemed daughters and sons of the Most High God. So my friend Pat Morley puts it, puts it this way. Contentment is not getting what you want, but wanting what you get. Because you know who you are in Jesus. And so it's a, it's a reality. And in Paul's day, there were the Stoics that said, you got to kill all your desires. There were people today who are the modern Stoics, uh, even though it's an ancient, uh, ancient way of life. Buddhism is basically the same thing. It's not a religion. They don't believe in a God. Uh, so it's not a religion per se. But Buddhism says, kill your desires. That's not Christianity. C.S. Lewis put it in such a way that we have to understand that the reality is, is that God has made us full of desires. And in Christ, he wants the best desires in our life to be fulfilled. We are people of desire. The way to have contentment is not killing desire, but having the right desires that come from grace and enjoying who we are in Christ in our impossibly high standards. And so Paul, the apostle, wraps up this letter, and he's, he's just talking about how we're not it's. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And grace binds us together. And then it, grace gives us deep contentment, not as we look for what everybody else is trying to give us, but what he gives us. And then lastly, quickly, he pulls it together in verses 19 through 23, and he shows us that the last uh, fruit of grace that he wants to burn deeply into our hearts, uh, in the Philippians' hearts, as he says, well, no, as he doesn't say goodbye, but as he wraps up this letter, he says, uh, there's, there's this grace of hope. Verse 19, grace always brings hope. Verse 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is that a verse we should all focus on? Are you kidding me? Hope in the gospel. Grace brings hope. Paul says, just as you guys took care of me, I want you to know that God's going to take care of you. 
He can't not take care of you. He does crazy things like build ministries in cities where they're anarchists. And he goes to suburbs like Maitland and Altamont Springs and Winter Springs and cities like Orlando. And he takes people who could be very, very discontented. He gives them joy and hope. Because what he did for Paul, he can do for us. There's hope in his glory. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. There's hope in God's supply. There's hope in God's glory. One of these days, we will see him face to face. And when you see him face to face, you will never deny that he is good. That everything you questioned in this life, and you said, God, why? There'll be an answer. Some of you, when you see him, you won't even want an answer. You won't want to sit, sit down and talk about it because you'll know. It's okay because of his glory will answer. Fill the hope of your heart. There's hope in community. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. This hodgepodge of Christians in Rome that came to see Paul in prison, they're all sending their, their greetings to the Philippians. I, wherever we are, we're one in the body of Christ. There's hope in community. There's hope in, in gospel advance, verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I love that. The people who work for Nero, a lot of them were coming to faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? A great story. I want to meet some of those when I get home. There's hope in the grace past, present, and future. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Is this possible? Is it possible to live with the fruit of grace burning uh, in the partnership, pulling us together? Is it possible for there to be a, a sense uh, of, of, this, of this incredible unity in Christ, this hope? Is it possible? It is. Now, I got to end with a story. Uh, I love it. It's a story that took place in Tennessee. Some of you are from up there in Tennessee. There was a couple of hunters, and they were out hunting one day. And they were out. They were a couple of rednecks in Tennessee. And as they were walking through the forest, they came across this impossibly big hole in, in the ground. And they, looked, they stopped. They looked at the hole, and they said, this is the biggest hole I've ever seen. How deep is it? And the, guy, the other guy goes, I don't know. Let's throw something in and see how deep it is. And so they looked around, found an old and a transmission, and they threw it in and uh, threw it down in the hole and, and were just waiting. And all of a sudden, now they're standing there looking down the hole. This goat comes running through the forest, just comes right through the forest without even thinking, stopping, jumps right into that hole and goes right down. And they're just kind of looking at each other going, what in the world? And just as that happened, a farmer came walking up and said, hey, guys, I've been, um, you haven't seen my goat, have you? He goes, yeah, we just saw a goat. Just come right up, jump right in that hole. And they said, he said, that's absolutely impossible. He was chained to my old transmission. I want you to know. <laughs> I love that. I love the laughter of the redeemed. Of people who belong to Jesus Christ. And know that by grace, they're, they're in partnership because they've experienced the love of God. Because they have contentment, because they're experiencing the love of God. 
because of our impossibly high calling in Christ, we have hope. Christ. And so we stand together. The gospel of grace means don't make it more complex than it already is. God loves you. And he cannot prove it any more than he already has in Christ. When you get home, you'll see. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that as we gather in your presence today, as we've studied through the book of Philippians, as we've seen your grace over and over and over, we know we have to be convinced of it every day. And so we pray, holy God, that you would speak into our hearts, that you'd help us to know that we are not its, but we are deeply beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you that you didn't wash your hands of us, but have wrapped your arms around us. And what a privilege it is to worship you and to love you in return. And now I pray that you would meet us and lead us into another week filled with your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.